Informed Dissent, brought to you by Firearm Training Associates. Firearms Training Associates is, is a lucky company because we have been able to draft in some of the best instructors in the world. We have special operations guys, we have guys from the U.S. military, from foreign militaries that work for us. They provide a great deal of insight into self-defense. So we developed this so that our customers could come on the weekends and get the best training in the world. We pride ourselves on our civilian training. It's our armed civilian that's one of the most important things to us. We want to teach them how to survive dangerous situations. When you come through the course, as long as you're performing at a acceptable level, you're going to get a certificate that puts our stamp on it. And we take it serious when we put our stamp on there. When you get our gold label, that means that you've passed the class that you've attended. Firearm Training Associates, proud sponsor of Informed Descent. Find out more at ftatv.com. Informed Descent. The intersection of healthcare and politics with Dr. Jeff Barkey and Dr. Mark McDonald. We've got uh, a, a wonderful uh, guest on, uh, parents on. Um, recently saw them on Tucker Carlson, and that's Chrissy and Lee Hicks. And Chrissy and Lee, welcome to Informed Descent. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank, Thank you for having us. You've got a very uh, compelling and difficult story to hear for anybody that has children. So I'll, I'm going to let you tell it. I'm not going to tell it. Uh, but your daughter, Yula, who's from the Ukraine, you adopted her, 14 years old, is going through some medical difficulty that just makes no common human sense. Uh, and it's quite the tragedy. So tell us a little bit about it. Um, so I don't really know where we should begin, but um, Yulia and her brother Ivan came, what became part of our family in January of 2021. We officially adopted them in April. When they came, we already knew that Yulia had a kidney um, genetic disorder that was going to affect her kidneys and her eyes because she was adopted, her and her brother were adopted to another family in Raleigh the same time that we adopted our oldest daughter, Anastasia. Um, she kind of got passed around. The two of them got passed around to a couple different families, but we got them with a three hour notice. We knew she had the kidney problem. We went straight to Duke to get follow-up care. Cause I didn't know when the last time was that she'd been seen by a doctor. Um, and so we got her back in touch with Duke. They told us that she could not get her dialysis until she had a stable social environment, which I understand. Um, and so we were able to rush through the adoption. We got it. They were adopted within 90 days, which was a miracle, was miracle, miracle number one. Um, and then we just, we started doing peritoneal dialysis with Yulia for the last 16 months. The first time they tried to push it on us, I think was March of 2021 when it, whenever it was that they started saying it was okay for teenagers to get. Um, but we said, no, we're not interested right now. And then they kept telling us, well, you're not going to get a transplant if you don't do it. And I said, well, We'll cross that bridge when we get there. And, and of course, when you say do it, you mean get the COVID vaccine. Right. Yes. The COVID vaccine. Yes. Right. I said, we'll cross that bridge with the COVID vaccine when we get there, because I, I figured it would be a couple of years and we would, you know, who knows what the world would look like at that point. Maybe this wasn't a fight we would even have to fight. Um, and we just kept doing what they told us to do. Yulia has been a compliant patient. They always say she's the best one. Her port has no, not even red around it. It's just perfect skin, no infections, no, I mean, everything. We do everything they tell us to do. Um, they finally transferred us back over to Duke to do the like um, eight hour 
work up. We th- I thought it was October 7th, but it was actually October 3rd. Mm-hmm. So we th- sat through with a lot of doctors. Dr. Chambers is like the head of the transplant unit there. And she came in and told us a bunch of things. But in the end, it was if you don't get the COVID vaccine, then she will not be activated on our transplant list. What was the why behind that recommendation? Then she didn't really she was, give us a no, why. We just... Didn't kind of said, okay, well, you know, it was a very stressful day because, I mean, you're sitting there for eight hours, doctors are coming in. It's really the first time you hear what a transplant is, which was eye-opening too, because it's not a cure. It's just another form of treatment. Um, But Yuli has been so compliant with her medication. Go No, sorry, I didn't catch up. So after Dr. Chambers came in in and told us that, we had Dr. Chain come in, who was the infectious disease doc, and he told us that that the COVID vaccine was not mandatory. So he wished it was mandatory, and he, it, 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 uh, but it wasn't. And so patients had been getting transplants, kidney transplants, without the vaccine, without COVID nineteen vaccine. You know, you mentioned dialysis, and a lot of people think of typical dialysis where uh, you have blood that's removed and it's filtered through a machine and then returned back into you. You're talking about peritoneal dialysis, so that's a bit different. And that's when you put a solution actually into the peritoneal cavity, the abdominal cavity. Peritoneum is the lining that surrounds the intestinal tract. It's almost like a cellophane wrapper, if you will. And the solution goes in there, and because there's such a large absorption area, it's able to remove the toxins that the kidneys normally would would remove. But since the kidneys aren't doing that, you have to do either... um, you know, either dialysis through the blood or peritoneal dialysis. The advantage of peritoneal dialysis, of course, is you can do it at home, so you don't have to go to a center. Uh, the The downside is you have to be extraordinarily careful uh, because you can introduce infection, which would be devastating. And so now you've got a 14-year-old young girl who ultimately is going to need a kidney transplant, and Duke University... Um, says, no, you can't do that unless you're vaccinated. Keep in mind that children simply are not at risk of COVID, but never mind that, uh, that the chance of a child dying of COVID is, uh, is less than 1%, so they're not even at risk. And we know that children are at risk of injury from the vaccine, never mind that it doesn't stop infection or stop transmission, but now they're making it a requirement, at least Duke University is, uh, in order to get a transplant, which makes no sense at all. Um, and I don't know from a scientific standpoint how they could even argue that because it's it's ridiculous. And this must have been very, very stressful for you to hear that. Very stressful. And then we found out recently that they actually, they've been doing unvaccinated transplants. There's a man, and he won't mind me saying his name. His name is Chad Carswell. He fought to get his transplant at Duke um, unvaccinated, and he got his on October 17th, which was two weeks after they told us we could not have one. Where are you now with uh, battling Duke? Uh, we have a lawyer. We've retained a lawyer, and he is he has filed suit. Um, but, I mean, as far as we're concerned, we're done with Duke. We're moving on somewhere else. And where are you moving on to? Well, we hope Florida. We're, um, we're applying to a hospital in Florida Um, our dialysis center is, you know, doing the referral and sending all the stuff. This just happened the last two days. So we don't really know 
where we're going yet, but we're hoping for a hospital in Florida. Have you reached out to the Surgeon General of Florida, Dr. Joe Latipo? We have not yet, but somebody, I mean, we've had a lot of contacts. There's really been an overwhelming amount of support that we've gotten. We're amazed. Um, And somebody did contact me, I think today, who had a direct line Mm -hmm. to Governor DeSantis and to the Surgeon General, but we have not, that has not come to fruition yet. Well, so right now we've requested Duke to transfer our records down to this institute and uh, kidney or the transplant institute in in Miami, but uh, so far they have not done that yet. So we're still trying to get Duke to to transfer the records. Yeah, no, I understand. And this must be uh, very difficult for Yulia to understand what's going on. And I imagine it's causing her a lot of stress. So Yulia, because we were telling you about being through um, three other families, like this is her third family. Um, she's a very resilient child. Now I know that she is internalizing some of it because who couldn't? Um, but she has always been a big journaler. She likes to write, she likes to read. And I think that's how she's coping with it best. And we try to block her for most of it. Like she doesn't, we don't let her get on media. The kids don't really, cause there are 11 kids in our family. They don't really get that involved in it because we don't want them to take on that burden. I think you're bringing up something that's very important that I've spoken and written about for quite a long time now, since probably middle of 2020, which is the effect, the negative effect that children, the negative effect on children of being exposed to social media through their phones, through their iPads, through their devices. Uh, I'm a child psychiatrist. I see children in Los Angeles and all of my patients have declined in their emotional health in the last three years. And I I believe that one of the biggest causes is their exposure to social media and parents and families who um, successfully limit that or block it uh, have children who are far more resilient and who maintain a better state of emotional health. So what you're doing for your for your daughter, for Yulia, uh, is something that I advocate for parents of all children, regardless of whether they have a life threatening illness. Yeah, I agree. We they. um... Our older kids, we have some in college, so they do have phones with internet access, but our younger children have what's called a gap phone, and so they really can only text their friends and make phone calls. And I really think it has shielded Yulia a lot, because if she had been on social media, she would have, she would see some of the nasty comments that are out there that we don't even look at. Like, no. I'm not, we don't even look at the comment boxes on anything that we've been on, because it doesn't matter. And we... I was going to say, we, my last job in the Army, I uh, saw a lot of the negative aspects of the social media stuff that comes through and what you know people do with, they target children, they target people on social media. And so uh, our oldest daughter actually got targeted uh, in school. But uh, so we try to shield the, our younger children from that. So we don't allow them to have much access to social media at all because of that. How is... Yulia doing, you mentioned that she's resilient, she's strong, uh, she's been shielded from a lot of the nastiness in the environment. Um, How is she doing in terms of her uh, overall emotional state, knowing that uh, she does have a medical illness which requires treatment and there's obviously a delay and, and to some degree she understands the circumstances of that. Do you uh, feel that there's any lessons that you can express or or provide to other families with children who are not in this circumstance, but in a similar stressful circumstance that could help them with their daughter? Because it sounds like she's she's tolerating this surprisingly well. I think um, for Yulia, because she's been 
uh, through the orphanage in Ukraine. In Ukraine, you can imagine the orphanages, uh, they get the bottom of the barrel as far as money is concerned. So their facilities are normally very cold in the wintertime and not very cool in the summertime. Uh, and there's not, many, not much electricity there. In fact, when I was there picking up our oldest uh, uh, adopted daughter, Stasia, she, I remember going down the hallway, the only light that worked was a single, single bulb light in the hallway besides the director's office that had a, a single lamp in it. And that's how she did all her paperwork. But so I think her experience coming up through that and then being, I don't want to say tossed around, but basically going through three different families here in the United States within four years. Uh, and she's been with us longest. So I think she's learned to how to kind of cope uh, with life as it's thrown at her. Uh, probably differently than some other people in the United States that would have that a different experience. So I think uh, for her, she's she internalizes a lot. She doesn't express her feelings very much. She does a lot of shadow dancing. So I think that's how she deals with a lot of a lot of stress in her life. She's kind of just I'm going to enjoy life while I can type thing. And then, uh, that's why Chris said she's very resilient because she is. And like and I think Chrissy's right when she says she just devours books. She reads books like No Tomorrow. Um, and then she writes her own book on her own story. On her own yeah. story. So I do believe that some of it is, um, you know, some of it may come out later when we get through this chronic illness. Because I do know when she first came to us, um, she has walls built up. I'm sure. How could you not have walls built up if you've lived through her life? Um, but when she first went through the surgery to have her port put in. Um, she would sometimes like get so overwhelmed that she would like cry inconsolably. Absolutely. I would have to hold her like a baby um, to try to get her to calm down. And I'm sure it's just sometimes it just bubbles up. Um, I, and I think sometimes she thinks she has to be perfect because she's afraid she'll get left by her third family if she's not perfect. But um, as more and more time goes on, you know, and things happen and she realizes we're not going anywhere and she's not going anywhere. This is her forever home. Right. I think that more of those walls will start to fall down. I'm already seeing some of it now as we go through this, she sees us fighting for her and she is becoming closer to us than she was before that. So a few things that you pointed out that I just want to briefly summarize and emphasize that I've also written about in my book and are exemplified in your story is, um, Gratitude. She appears to be very grateful for having the life she has here compared to the life that was offered her in her home country. Creativity and curiosity. She seems quite bright and interested in devouring books and expressing herself through dance. Uh, and also, I think very importantly and universally, it sounds like she's living in reality. She is not living in the fantasy life that is created by social media and the life that parents foist on her in the larger urban areas of the United States. She had already been through uh, public school here in the United States uh, with the first family she was with. And then, and of course, we homeschool, so it's quite different. One of our friends, one of her friends down the street is now in public school. And um, anyways, going through some experiences that you has already been through. And so she's kind of like, she'll get over that. You know, she's, she's kind of sees through, she's kind of matured a lot uh, since she's been with us. And it's kind of just, and it's, it's fun to watch her grow. So Christy and Lee, I, I heard, Lee, I heard you say that you've got 11 children. So can you tell me a little bit about that? And I understand you both are in law enforcement. Not law enforcement. Uh, we're both veterans. Uh, I spent uh, 28 years in the Army, was me medically retired a couple of years ago. Christy uh, was also a veteran, or is also a veteran. She and I met in Germany. That's how, uh, and we, I guess that's how I met. But anyways, yeah. uh, 
and her first assignment, my third assignment. Um, so, and the rest is history there. But it's, we we um, have eight of our own children, and then we adopted three. And so, and how we adopted, I think it was, I'm sitting in my office in, uh, in Fort Bragg, and I get this message from Chrissy saying, hey, what do you think we host a child, an orphan from Ukraine for Christmas? And I was like, okay, we're not adopting, right? We have seven. We're good. <laughs> and no, no, we're going to help her find her forever home. And then we, two weeks into our host, I thought, I took, looked at Chrissy and I said, I think we found her a forever home. <laughs> and so uh, we did adopt her the next year. And then at the same time, we found out we were pregnant with our eighth child. Um, and so we had, we ended up getting, having him and then getting her in the same year. Yeah, it's kind of went, uh, kind of interesting. And then uh, as far as Yulia and her brother are concerned, we, yeah, we, we, we got them a couple, uh, a couple of years ago, almost. Well, that is something. Well, listen, thank you both for your service to our country. And uh, those kids are lucky to have you as parents. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. They might not agree some days. <laughs> <laughs> no, like every family. And so here, here we are uh, as a country uh, supporting Ukraine, but we're not willing to support and to help a Ukrainian child that's uh, now part of your family. Someone actually just said that to me tonight. They're like, here we are. We put billions of dollars to save Ukrainians, but there's one here in America and we won't save her. No, instead we want to vaccinate her. Yeah. Right. Which could kill her. So there, you know, listen, we've got an audience across the United States and actually the world that's listening to us. What's your message to them? What do you want them to know about your struggle and your fight? I would say um, what we want to put out there most is that you know, we're not special. We're, we've just found ourselves in this situation and we decided to stand up. And that's all it takes. If we all just stand up against this tyranny, it will go away faster because if we cower, they'll just keep pushing it. Like, where does it end? If we don't have control over what goes in our body, what do we have control over? Nothing. And what will they force next? So every one of us, we are, I promise you, we are any American family. We we won't, we're, we're not set out to be freedom fighters or anything like that. We, we've just been called to this mission and we won't back down. How can people find out more about you? And is there a mechanism by which they can support your efforts? Yeah. So we set up a website um, at yuliagrace.com. So it is Y-U-L-I-A grace.com. You can email us on there. I'm going to try to get out. This week has been really busy, so I haven't been able to blog as much, but I will blog our journey as we go forward. Um, and you can contact us on there if you want to be a donor. She's an O positive blood type. We'll be looking for a donor soon, as soon as we have identified another medical center. Um, and then we've also set up a Give, Send, Go, which is givesendgo.com backslash kidney for Yulia. And people have been incredibly generous towards us already. It's amazing to see. I feel like we've hit a point in America where people are just done and they want to move forward. Yep, I happen to be uh, O positive and unvaccinated and I'd be happy to donate. I will wow. let you know when I know where we're going. Chrissy and Lee Hicks, thank you so much for joining us on Informed Dissent and, and sharing the story about Yulia. I hope our audience will reach out to you uh, as a donor, both with their blood and their money and uh, follow your story. And hopefully if we can help you fight, then uh, this fight will be also for those that come after you. Absolutely. Amen. That's what we hope. Absolutely. You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, 
board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.